I want to tell you how I prepare my lessons and give you an idea of why I got the topic I got today. Uh, I read through the same thing you read through. Uh, if you're new with us, we're going through the Bible in a year. We all have this chart. You can actually uh, download it from our website or pick one up in the lobby. And so all of us are reading the same scripture every week throughout the year. And we read from the Old Testament, a couple different places like the Psalms, Genesis, and from the New Testament. And I go through the same readings you go through, but I do them ahead of you. And I do them all at once. So instead of reading a piece every day for a week, I read the whole week at one time. And then I cut and paste pieces of scripture that stand out to me for whatever reason. And I put them on a sheet of paper. And then I look at them say, now what am I going to teach? I noticed when I did it this time that several of the passages had the word heart in it. Something like, I didn't count them all, but like eight to ten passages used the word heart. And I thought, man, maybe this is the time to talk about hearts. You know, heart. Because the Bible talks about the heart a lot. And I don't even know if I've ever taught on that as a topic. So I went, man, I'm going to teach on the heart. So I, I made my lesson, and I went over to another place on the Internet where I let the band and my associates and assistants know what I'm teaching on so they can go and prepare music and slides and all sorts of cool stuff. And I looked, there was a little note there that said, Valentine's Week. I was like, how cool is that? Decided to pick a lesson on the heart that the week Valentine's comes along. So first thing I did, and I wanted to give you a definition of what the word heart meant in the Bible. So I looked at the Hebrew, looked at the Greek, the lexicons, you know, the dictionaries that tell you what these words mean. The Hebrew word, wow, length of definition this long. Both the Hebrew and the Greek know that the word means um, this organ inside that pumps the blood. They know that. But just like us, heart has taken on a big range of meaning. I show you this, and you all know it's not representing one of these, you, but you get it. If I say, oh, she broke my heart, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I was going to go, but I just didn't have the heart to do it. So the word in the Bible is the same. It has a long, big range of meaning. So the Hebrew word is lev or levav, and it means the inner man, the mind, the will, understanding, the inner part, the midst of things, the soul, the mind, knowledge, thinking, reflection, memory, inclination, resolution, determination of will, conscience, moral character, the seed of appetites, the seed of emotions and passions, and the seed of courage. Wow. That's the Hebrew. The Greek doesn't use as many, the lexicon doesn't use as many words for the Greek, but it's the same thing. The Greek word is cardia. Now, you know that word because you've all watched TV where they say, oh, cardiac arrest. Clear. <laughs> cardia from the Greek word. In fact, if you were to visit an ancient Roman city in Turkey, Israel, Spain, you'll notice it's set on two major streets. The one that runs right through the heart of the city is called the cardo. Heart, same word. Here's what it means. The center of all physical and spiritual life. The middle or central or inmost of anything. The vigor and sense of physical life. The soul, the mind, the fountain and seed of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors of will and character. A lot of words are this way. They have a long, broad range of meaning. And sometimes we get into trouble when we have arguments with people or even discussions and we have disagreements 
because somebody's arguing about this definition and somebody else is arguing about this definition and you never concede eye to eye because you're not on the same line, you're not on the same page. For today's lesson, I can simplify the definition of heart. Heart is the true man, the true person, their nature, their character, your innermost being, you. What makes you, you? Not the physical part, the non-physical part, and everything that's tied to that. Now, this week when I sent out my email, I gave you a link to a video. Did any of you see that? Can I see hands? Didn't work? Did you look at it on your phone? Did you, did, did you, see, I looked at it on my computer and it worked, because I always test these things before I send them out, but I didn't check it on my phone. Didn't work on the phone, but it did on the computer. Well, that's jacked up. I'm sorry. It's like, watch this video. I can't, Steve. This doesn't work. It's, um, it was the music video of the Emmaus Road by Steve Green. So go home and look it up. It's a touching video. It's nice. I wanted you to see that because I'm going to be talking to you right now about the road to Emmaus. Here's what happened. You know the story. Jesus died, was buried, rose again. But his disciples, for whatever reason, their hearts were hard. They didn't understand. They went to the tomb looking for him, first at the women, and they got there, and it was empty. The stone was rolled away, and some angels appeared to the women and said, basically, he's not here, he's risen. So they fled back, ran back to tell the disciples, we went to his tomb, he wasn't there, we saw angels, and everybody means, what do you mean he wasn't there? And Peter and James and John, or at least Peter and John, they ran to the tomb. Sure enough, there was nobody there, an angel appeared to him, and now this is the buzz of the discipleship community. But they're still confused. They don't know what's going on. Two of the disciples, one who I think was there, and a guy named Cleopas, were walking on the road to Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem, talking about these things. And while they're walking, just talking, kind of with their heads downcast, a guy walks up next to them, a total stranger. It's actually Jesus, but he's hiding himself. He's disguised supernaturally so they won't, don't recognize him. He says, what are you guys talking about? So let me read to you from the text now. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, I mean, and you can imagine what they were saying. But the lady said they saw angels. Ah, you can't trust women, you know, you know how women are. But no, he took, didn't he say, destroy this temple and I'll rise again? Oh, but he was speaking in metaphors. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Well, not really. The, but, but Peter was there. Yeah, Peter said they, he saw angels too. Yeah, well, you know, Peter, they were talking. Now Jesus steps into the middle of the conversation. Man, to be a fly in the wall of that conversation. So as they discussed this with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So he asked them, what are you guys talking about as you walk along? <laughs> What's up, guys? And they asked him, are you new to town? Haven't you heard what's been going on? Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened in these days? And he said, what? About Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And not only that, it's the third day since all this took place. And some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, just this morning. But they didn't find his body. 
and they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. And the angel said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. But him they did not see. It's a great summary of exactly what happened. These guys were in the know. Notice it says, us. They came and told us. That means these guys were there. One of them was named Cleopas. The other guy remains unnamed. I wonder why. I wonder who that other guy was. Interesting. Now, Jesus still doesn't reveal himself. But now he chews them out. He said to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now that's the part I wanted to share with you. You can read the rest of the story. You know what happened after that. If not, go home and read it and listen to that music video, Emmaus Road by Steve Green. The part I want to draw your attention to is Jesus said to them, you're slow of heart to believe. So I want to give you a definition of what the heart is in the Bible. This verse we read this past week tells us that belief resides in the heart. So what is the heart? Well, among other things, the heart is the place where belief comes from. It's the seat of belief. Our faith comes from our heart. Romans 10, 9, and 10 makes it even more clear. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The heart and the mouth work together. And we're going to go back to the mouth in a few minutes. But I want to talk more about the heart If you go anywhere in the world, religious or non-religious, it really doesn't matter, Jewish people, there's at least one thing about Judaism they know, and it's called the Shema. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's almost like, I don't even know how how to explain it. It's just like the creed of the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart heart. So belief comes from the heart, and you know as well as I do, love also comes from the heart. Nothing has changed in the way that we use that word. So this week in Luke, we read about the followers of Jesus being slow of heart to believe. And then we read from Hebrews also this week, and the heart was mentioned three times at least in the reading. Hard hearts, Straying hearts and evil, unbelieving hearts. Sinful, unbelieving hearts. Here's how Hebrews puts it. So, as the Holy Spirit says, quote, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So in verse 8, we see about hard hearts. In verse 10, straying hearts. And then verse 12, sinful, unbelieving hearts. See to it, brothers, 
that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So a hard heart is an unbelieving heart. A hard heart is a rebellious heart, a heart that rejects God. And twice, he puts the burden on us to have soft hearts. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Do not harden your hearts. So in the scripture, God has a hand in people's hearts, but we also have a hand in our hearts. I suppose if I was a Calvinist, I'd want to talk about how all God deals with people's hearts. But I'd rather talk about how we deal with our hearts because I don't understand how God deals with people's hearts and I can't affect and impact what he does anyway. God is God. I'll let him take care of his business, his side of the deal. I'm responsible for my side of the deal. You're responsible for your own heart, your side of the deal. Because a heart that's hard needs to be softened and we can actually have a part in softening our own hearts. Back to the Torah, to the Old Testament, the laws of Moses. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. A hard heart is an unbelieving disobedient heart. A soft heart is a loving, believing, obedient heart. The Lord your God, to the Lord your God, belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers, and he loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. That's an interesting passage, circumcise your hearts, because God instructed the Jewish people all their boys were to be circumcised. Why? Well, for one thing, it depicts what's going on with the heart. And let me tell you, when a Jewish boy is eight days old, he's got no option. He doesn't get to decide whether he goes through it or not. And circumcision was only for Jewish boys and those who joined the tribe. But a circumcised heart, that's for everybody, Jews and non-Jews, male and female, mature people who make a decision in and of themselves whether they want to follow the God of Israel. So hearts can be soft and open to God or hard and resistant to God. And as I told you, we're responsible for our hearts. I've got a couple of hearts here to illustrate the point. They can be hard or soft. This one's hard. And when I hold this, I'm thinking of a story that I was told. It has to do with a little kid who saw people with cats and dogs and hugging and snuggling. And the kid told him that, you know, when I come home at night, my dog meets me at the door, follows me around all day. And when I hop in bed, my dog sleeps in bed with me. So the kid goes home and says, Mommy, Mommy, can I get a pet? And mommy's thinking, oh, man, I promise I'll take care of it. I'll feed it. And mom's thinking, no, you won't. It'll be my pet. It's going to chew the furniture, pee on the floor. So mom has a brainstorm. 
And mom says, yes, you can have a pet. Yay, goody, goody, goody. It'll be home for you when you get home from school tomorrow. Yay. All day he says, when I get home, I'm going to have my pet and love on it and hug it and I'm going to squeeze it. So the kid gets home and he's got a goldfish. <laughs> you can't take that into bed with you. No, you need something kind of soft and cuddly to take into bed with you. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above everything else, guard your heart. It's where your life comes from. Above everything else, guard your heart. So, we have hearts. Hearts can believe God or disbelieve God. Soft ones believe, the hard ones don't. Soft ones obey, the hard ones don't. And we're responsible for our own heart. So I'm going to give you two steps to a soft heart. And it's kind of hard to tell you that, only because if your heart is hard, you can't hear anything I say anyway. Because your heart's too hard. You're not listening. But maybe there's just a little crack. Just a little crack where the truth can get through. Now, I'm not thinking about you. I don't know who's ever going to hear this message, because if your heart was hard, you probably wouldn't be listening to me right now. So good. That's good. Because maybe you got a little crack, and we can soften it up more fully. Two steps to a soft heart. Number one, we must be humble before God. Now, we talked about humility just a couple weeks back. Humility is huge with God. Listen to what we read this week, Psalm 32, verse 9. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. God's telling the people, don't be stubborn like a mule. Don't be like a horse that if you gotta, want it to do something, you got to pull on it, you know, its mouth and pull on the ropes. God says, don't be that way. Don't be stubborn and stupid. That's pretty much what God is saying. So that's the introduction to the humble part. See, a hard heart cannot connect with God. It has to be soft. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Sadly, for a lot of people, the only way their heart's going to get soft is if it's crushed first. Now, if that is your personal experience, you were distant from God, you had a bad thing happen and it broke your heart and it brought you closer to God, would you mind showing me your hand? Yeah, lots of you. It's sad. It happens. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. See, this can't get close to God. You can't snuggle with this. You've got to soften it somehow. We need our hearts to commune with God. And we're responsible from our side, getting close to God. He'll take care of his side. So we must humble ourselves before God. We can humble ourselves to God, but I'm afraid that those who don't might be broken. See, I'm thinking that we have the option. We can humble ourselves and avoid the crushed, destroyed heart syndrome, or we can just be hard, 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 and eventually it breaks. When I used to study martial arts, the martial art I knew was jujitsu. And jujitsu is known for breaking joints. <laughs> because I'm a godly man and that's what I do. <laughs> but the thing about jujitsu is you could get somebody's joint in a position where it really hurts and then you can stop. And you can give them the choice. You want to keep going or you want to quit? 
So jujitsu is also known as the gentle art. First of all, because it uses body mechanics and momentum and leverage, and also because you don't have to damage somebody to win a fight. But if they resist, you can break anything on them anytime you want. Great martial art, love it. When you're learning jujitsu, one of the things you learn when you practice is how not to hurt your partner. So for example, when things get a little uncomfortable, you tap your partner and they let, immediately let go. But when you're in the dojo, you don't take somebody's arm and go because then it's, it's too late, it breaks that quick. So what you do is a slow, steady pull. And then when it gets right about there, the person's got to tap. And if they don't tap, you just keep pulling until they say uncle and tap. It's slow and easy. Because if you do it quick, it snaps and breaks. We can go slow and easy with God and never get to the point of breaking, or we can snap and break. And I think it's up to us. I know our readings this week said if we obey God, our path would be smooth. Life would be as easy as it can be this side of the pearly gates. Psalm 37, 31. The law of God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. So when you walk with God, when you're soft to God and you obey God, you've got a smooth path in front of you. But when you don't, you're driving through Tucson potholes. <laughs> I swear I was driving the other day. You know, when you think of a pothole, you think of a round hole in the ground, right? This was a canyon. It wasn't even round. It was just a, like an earthquake went through the road. It's like, really? Oh, man. Don't get me on potholes. I'm so annoyed. Probably because I had to put like, what was it, $800 into new struts on my car because this road just beat the snot out of it. My car can't handle our roads. I drive to work like this. I need a kidney belt you know, to get here from my side of town. I just wonder, do the people who run this town, don't they drive on these roads? I'm going to get a new car. I think I'm going to get a Hummer. <laughs> or a tank. I don't know which. Something that will take these roads and I don't have to stress over it. All right. Psalm 34, 11 through 14. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. This is the life of somebody whose heart is right with God. Just a real basic outline on how to have a good life. So the first step to a soft heart is humility. The second step to a soft heart is confession. And that's where the mouth comes back in. Remember I told you we'd be back to the mouth? Listen to what it said. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When I kept silent, when my mouth was shut. Verse 5, and by the way, I'm reading back from this Psalm 32. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you can be found. We need to acknowledge before God the wrong that we do. And that's a necessary step to a soft heart. If you won't or can't, you're in a bad place. When you know there is wrong, don't make excuses. 
I had to because he lied to me. He was mean to me. He started it. He doesn't pay me enough. It was just sitting there. No excuses. God, I lied. I didn't think I was a liar, and I just lied. I am so ashamed of myself. Please forgive me. God, I have gone 40 years without even thinking about you, not even caring about you. Every time you cross my mind, I, I mocked people who told me about you. I was invited to church, and I just swore at them. I was evil, God. I didn't know I was evil, but now I do. I am so sorry. Whatever it is, I don't know. You have to fess up. Now you can open your candy. See, these are hard hearts right here. But I tell you, the heart and the mouth go together. And if you can just get it out of your heart and into your mouth as a confession, it'll soften up. But if you don't, what do you do with a hard heart? Wow, it didn't even break it. Dang. That's, that's one hard heart, yeah. There we go. Choice is yours. When I kept silence, my bones wasted away. But when I confessed, oh, it was good. Mm, these are good, aren't they? They're nice candies. Man, these are worse than fortune cookies. <laughs> there we go. Laugh. <laughs> All right, that psalm that talked about being silent and then my bones wasting away and then acknowledging my sin and feeling good about it, Here's how it started. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. And that forgiveness comes from the person who softens their heart and confesses their sin before God and trusts in Jesus Christ. Why don't people believe in Jesus? It's a matter of the heart. Remember, we've already determined that. Belief comes from the heart. We know one thing about them. Their heart is hard. They need humility, followed by confession. So try this. You've got a loved one. They won't listen to you about God. They don't, won't come to church with you. They won't read the Bible. Pray that they'll be humbled. And pray that their hard heart will be broken. Because I'm telling you, true story, I don't remember how old I was, I'll just say six. I was young. And I was uh, up on those um, jungle gym type things, it's like a ladder just hanging there. Mark, what are those things called? It's a ladder, you should know what they're called. Monkey bars? Yeah. Well, I wasn't much of a monkey. Because I swang my, swung, swang, swinged? 
I grabbed a hold of that and tried to put my feet up, and then I fell. <laughs> and that was before they invented soft grounds. <laughs> and I broke my arm. My bone went like this and this. It felt good. <laughs> I got to the doctor, and of course the doctor was there to make it feel better. So he took a needle, rammed it right into there, and filled it up with poison, you know, painkiller. Then he grabbed my arm, pulled it apart, stuck it back together, and wiggled it to make sure it was in place. In order to set my arm, he had to re-break it in a sense, pull it back apart, wiggle it back together. It's a horrible thing, but it was necessary, or I'd still be deformed to this very day. Listen, I don't want anybody's heart broken. I'm looking forward to heaven where there'll be no more tears, no more, no more sorrow. But if it takes a broken heart to get you to heaven with me, may God break your heart. Whatever it takes. A forgiven man is a repentant man. A repentant man is a confessing man. A confessing man is a humble man. So I just send you home with one question. What kind of man or woman are you? Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for sharing with us, showing us from the word of God about our hearts. And for those within this congregation this morning, those on the internet, TV and radio, whoever sees this or hears this, may you get through their hard hearts. May you crack that heart so that the flood lights of Jesus might shine in and that they might come to you and taste and see that the Lord is good. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.